You are listening to The Reach Podcast with Elim's National Evangelist and Head of Evangelism, Mark Greenwood, in conversation with a bunch of his mates, bringing their wisdom, stories and insight, inspiring you to inspire others. This is The Reach Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to today's podcast. I wonder whether you might pause with me before we get stuck into chatting to our guest, Phil Cook, today. I'd like to pause and remember the life and death of George Floyd. I'd like to pray for his family and friends and for the black community across our world. I'd like to pray that racism will once and for all be eradicated and will become a painful and distant memory. And so, Father, we come before you today. We remember George Floyd. We pray for his family, his friends, and the black community across this globe. Father, be close by them at this time. Lord, help us to have a conversation together that we as white people might be humble enough to listen and to learn and to change. Father, we want to pray that racism will be alien to this world. And so we commit everything to you at this time. Amen. Thank you so much for pausing and reflecting. We're going to get stuck into chatting to Phil Cook, our guest today. Thank you. You are listening to the Reach Podcast with me, Mark Greenwood. And me, Phil Cook. Phil Cook, it is so nice to have you on the program today. Welcome, sir. How are you? I am doing very well. I'm here in Los Angeles and uh, having a great time. I'm thrilled that we could get together and do this. Yeah, me too. And how's, how's life in uh, Los Angeles? Because as we're recording this, of course, we're right bang in the middle of lockdown. How's things over there in the States? Well, we're starting to open up just a little bit, but it's funny that uh, big cities like New York and Los Angeles, where I'm at, are taking the slowest route possible. I mean, they're just slowly opening up. And um, I'm, I, I tell you, I've had to apologize to the Lord for ever complaining about traveling too much. I can't wait to get out of here, get, in <laughs> get back to business. It's driving me nuts. Yeah, I could totally relate to that. I've been saying to a few of my mates, 32 years in itinerant evangelistic preaching, and I don't think I don't think I'd ever spent more than two consecutive days in front of a computer. And now, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a it's a different one. It's a change. And how is it how is it affecting what what you do with some of the sort of producing? Actually, things? actually, since the lockdown, I have been busier than ever because oh, wow. we've had so many churches. You know, it's interesting that Lifeway Research here in the U.S. Yeah. said that before the lockdown only. Uh, well, before the lockdown, 41% of churches had never offered anything online to their congregation. No resources, wow. no small groups, no worship, nothing. Wow. And so suddenly, in fact, I've had pastors tell me, Phil, you know, I don't mind doing our live stream for our service, but that's not real ministry. Let me tell you, Mark, that's completely changed in the last eight right. or 10 weeks. Those pastors have realized this is it. I mean, we've moved yeah. from where sometimes we'd set up a camera and show people what happened at our service online yeah. to now 100% of our congregation is on the other side of that camera. So yeah. I think we've really got pastors attention. And, and I think honestly, if there's something good that's come out of all this, it's that pastors have finally embraced the fact that that is a legitimate congregation, that yeah. online audience, if you will, 
matter and they're real and I should take them seriously and be intentional about reaching out to them. And for me, that's a great thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. Phil, just before we uh, hit you with some of the questions we've been asking to all of our guests, which I think are, are really good fun. Um, you may not, but I do. Uh, let's, <laughs> just tell us a little bit about, I mean, obviously I know a fair bit about you, just, just for our, our listeners, just tell us a little bit about your kind of your life, your what you do and what you've always done, etc. that kind of stuff. Well, I was originally trained as a television producer and a writer. Um, I'm here in Los Angeles. Uh, we have a company called Cook Media Group. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, I've been involved in Super Bowl commercials, movies, TV, but our focus is really helping Christians use the media more effectively yeah. to really engage the culture. The truth is we live in a media driven culture today. And yeah. uh, I, I saw a statistic just recently that the average person in the West, the UK, America, Australia watches TV an average of about seven hours a day. Wow. And then on top of that, think of the time we spend on an iPhone or in front of a computer. So we are a totally media-driven culture. And my belief is if we don't learn to speak that language, if we can't yeah. share the gospel in that world, yeah. we're going to fail. We're going to lose a generation. So we focused our work in television and film and commercials and digital media, websites, social media, all those things, helping pastors, ministry leaders, nonprofit leaders get the message of the gospel out there more effectively. So as a result, we travel all the time. We go around the world. We have clients all over the place. And and it's just a great thing because I do believe that we need to, and I'll tell you something funny, Mark, but we, on my desk at any given moment, I probably have eight or 10 requests internationally from people right. in South America, Africa, Asia, India, to come and train them to use media to share the gospel. So it's interesting how even in third world countries and places in remote places on the earth, yeah. Christians are wanting to embrace media and use that to share the gospel. So we have teams that go out and do that under our nonprofit organization called the Influence Lab. Yeah. We're just trying to help people understand that media matters and it's key, the key, I think, to reaching this generation with the gospel. 100%. We're going to unpack that a little bit more, but are you ready for these um, life-transforming questions? <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> okay, so um, I'm going to take you out for a meal, okay? Um, because I'm generous, we're going to go for a bit of a deal and uh, I'm going to do a little bit of um, cross-Atlantic translation here. Um, I've got two courses for ten dollars. Okay. Okay. So, do you go for a starter and a main, or a main and a pudding? Oh, starter and a main. I'm not. I'm not a sugar guy. I'm not a dessert guy. So, I, I would definitely go for the, the starter and the main. <laughs> My wife is the opposite. She'll go for the dessert okay. every time. But yeah. But uh, no, not me. Do you, do, you, do you share each of those courses that are... Yeah, we, we often do. We've gotten to the place where we pretty much just order one meal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> one meal to share it, yeah. Absolutely. And what's, what's the sort of, what's the, the sort of favorite, favorite starter or favorite main? What, what, do you, what do you really fancy? What's your... What's well, st star, I mean, starters, we do all kinds of stuff. We experiment. Well, we like to experiment. Salads are big, but to also experiment with soup and... And as far as mains are concerned, I could eat fish for the rest of my life. I'm just going to say I love all fish of all kinds. Yeah. And, and really, I don't know that there's a kind of food we don't like. We love Indian food, uh, yeah. Mexican food here in the U.S., just all kind of things we go for. So that's, I have a, my wife is a fantastic cook. Kathleen is just amazing, which is good because I'm a horrible, horrible cook. <laughs> I, I could make a pretty good bowl of cereal, but... Um, <laughs> We love to try, experiment Italian food, whatever. So we're, we're, we're in. 
Ah, brilliant. Excellent. So, okay, so um, we've just we've just done a little event together. We're, we're driving back to the hotel. You feel like a bit of a craving for a bit of a snack. And I'm going to give you a pound. Do you spend it? That's a dollar, of course. Well, near enough. It's probably not a yeah. dollar. But do you spend it on sweets or chocolate? Well, chocolate is sweets, isn't it? In my book. Uh -huh. Is it? <laughs> Technically not. Chocolate sweets, but I would go for, yeah, probably chocolate. Yeah. Right. Although, I'll tell you, I have to say, I'm yeah. more of a saltaholic than a, than a. Oh, are you? Okay. Oh, my gosh. I can eat a bucket of chips at a Mexican restaurant. <laughs> so easy. And pop, I go to a movie, I'll get the jumbo popcorn and put extra yeah, salt right. in it. I love Excellent. salt stuff. So even late at night, I may go for a box of popcorn so who knows oh, oh cool so maybe then you might favor some crisps over chocolate and sweets then yes uh, yeah on, on airplanes i eat buckets of chip uh, a crisp no I question love, about it i love crisps absolutely do you like cheese are you into cheese that much yeah, I like cheese, I'm okay. a big cheese excellent so we're gonna have a little cheese board and we get we get to the sea this all revolves around food so i mean that's so yes. <laughs> so we're gonna go for a bit of a cheese board we're queuing in your local american supermarket i don't know what a popular well it would be one let's say walmart okay because we know yeah. that one and we get there all excited that you and i were going to sit down nice cheese board and the security guard tells us because of lockdown and stockpiling we're only allowed one cheese what would you choose Oh my gosh, you'd have to ask my wife because she knows the kind of cheese I like more than I do. Um, there's a couple exotic cheeses that I don't even know. I can't even remember <laughs> what they're called, but I love them. That's I just okay. love them. Um, yeah, and, and I've never, if I was reduced to one cheese, that would really be hard. I might get the shakes. I don't know. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, we'll just go for a generic exotic cheese. How does that okay, work? That's good. That's okay. good. I don't know quite what a generic exotic cheese is, but there you go. That that's fine. No, Manchego. Wait, Manchego. That's it. That's a good oh, yeah, cheese. Yeah, yeah. No, I love Manchego. Let's do Manchego. All right. Okay, cool. Manchego sounds really good in an American accent as well. It sounds much yeah. more exotic. <laughs> it sounds pretty bland. Everything, everything sounds worse in an American accent. Oh, just, <laughs> excellent. excellent. Know, a, a Brit accent is so much more intelligent sounding. <laughs> You're allowed to say that. I'll I'll okay. just uncomfortably laugh. Yeah. Okay. Um, now this will be a really interesting one with your background. What's your favorite film and why? You know what? I get asked that a lot, and I don't know that I have one. I mean, there I could name different films for different things. There's yeah. you know all, uh, there's a wide range of things out there um, that I really really do like, but. Uh, I, I don't, I've never had, uh, I've never, if I was on a desert island and I could only have one movie, I'm not sure what it would be, honestly, okay. because I've, I've watched so many and um, I have such a wide range. I mean, I, you know, every once in a while, you got to have a James Bond movie. You got to see Come something on. blow up. Come on. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And uh, then, you, of course, you know, my wife is into big time BBC costume dramas. I ah, mean, cool. you know, Down, Downton Abbey kind of stuff. Yeah, we, yeah. We've seen them all. And, um, <laughs> Good luck. Now we go to Netflix or Amazon Prime and just yeah. search BBC, and we download all those because my wife right. loves those series, cool. and all the all the Dickens series that they've done and stuff. So, yeah, there's a wide range of stuff we like, but a lot of the historical stuff we're really yeah. really keen on. It has been out of all these sort of fun questions that I've been asking our guests, the film one seems to be the most difficult one because. Of, I think some of the comments, and I think it's I think it's fair and right that 
It all depends on what what you're wanting a film to be. If you're wanting to pick you up, then it'd be yeah. a certain film. You know, if That's it's true. marking a moment in time, then there's emotions attached to a film as well. And it's, it's films are incredibly powerful, of course, aren't they? That's that's extremely the powerful. Yeah, extremely powerful. And what's interesting to me is to see the competition now we're getting from short videos online, YouTube, yeah. things like that. I mean, we have this thing. You'd be interested in this, Mark. We have a thing in Hollywood called Q scores. Okay. And Q-scores are an algorithm. For instance, if I'm a movie producer and I want Matt Damon to be in my movie or Daniel Craig to be in my movie, we go to Q-scores, which are an algorithm of box office sales, merchandising, popularity, yeah. social media rankings. It kind of, it, you, you want to know if, if spending $30 million to get Daniel Craig in my movie is worth it. And so you check him on the Q-scores. Well, every year, they released the top 20 Q scores, which in essence is the top 20 most influential celebrities in Hollywood. Well, a year or so ago, they released them. And for the first time in history, the top seven most influential celebrities in Hollywood were YouTube stars. No. I mean, not, not the major star, movie stars or TV stars, but YouTube stars. These are wow. people that five minute weekly shows in their parents' basement or a spare bedroom. And really, they're the most influential. And then um, th there was a couple mainline stars, about eight and nine. Uh, but but the, what it showed us was this emerging platform of YouTube. Yeah. There, I mean, there are YouTube stars now that do weekly five-minute programs with 70 million subscribers. So Crazy. the impact is completely flipping Hollywood upside down. And wow. they're not sure how to react to that because it's so amazing. It has taken us a little bit by storm, this stuff, hasn't it? That's really a thing. has. So can, here's an interesting thing, though. As somebody who's been involved on Hollywood sets and such like, sure. and, and, and movies and films and media, like, can you actually ever watch a film without critiquing how it's been directed or produced? It's like... You know, I, I went through a phase where I was hypercritical about everything. And because I, I, I saw that edit didn't work or why did they yeah, cut yeah, that? Right. <laughs> then I realized, then I realized I'm making myself miserable. And yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, right. I just decided to become the most gullible person in the world. Ah. So <laughs> I just sit down in a movie, I switch off my experience or switch off what I think yeah. they should be doing. And I just go along for the ride and enjoy it. So ah, yeah, that's funny you say that because I did go through that period and I realized this is no way to enjoy a movie. Yeah. So um, I switched back and now I just have fun. Uh, brilliant. Because my wife's been involved um, in uh, plot editing for novels. Yeah. She always like watches these different films with, with that. And it's, and she's saying, oh, here's, because she's created this technical graph to represent it. She said, oh, here's the dip or the whatever. And I'm going, what? The what? It's a film. It's a film. Well, you know, it's funny. My, my old college roommate's a doctor. And if we're ever watching a television show about doctors, yeah. he just sits there the whole time saying, well, they wouldn't do that. I don't know why he's doing that. They wouldn't wear that. And I'm thinking, shut up. I just yeah. don't care. I just want to watch the show. Absolutely. So. I just want some time out. Okay. So so, coffee or tea? Coffee. Major coffee, coffee yeah. Is that because of all the early hours you've spent editing stuff? In <laughs> Maybe, yeah. No, I just, my wife is a big tea fan. We have boxes of tea uh, from all over the world. That's one of the big things she likes to bring home. Okay. But she's a tea drinker. I'm more of a coffee drinker. Always have been. Are you sure she's not a closet English girl, your wife? Well, she's actually French. Oh, but she? I think we might have been confused, yeah. But uh, she <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Uh, final few quick ones. I don't know whether this, um, how this would would go with you guys, Pepsi or Coca Cola. 
Probably Coke. I, I, I can go either way, but probably Coke. Okay. Favorite sport to watch? College football here in the U.S. Uh, American football. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, just because um, the, the thing I love about college over the professional level is college, they're less experienced. It's right. they're you know, anything could happen. Uh, more mistakes, which makes yeah. it more interesting. Yeah. And so sometimes I feel like watching the pros, and I watch the pros, I enjoy watching it, yeah. but I feel like they're so accomplished, they're so brilliant at what they do, it's just less surprises, and college football is so much wi more wide open. So I'm a big, big college American football fan. And it's a big thing over in the States as well, college football, isn't oh, it? Oh, it's really big, really big. It's, it's, you know, all the sports, as I'm sure UK, all the sports are just in limbo right now with this yeah. virus business. We don't know when they're going to restart, how they're going to restart. So we're, we're curious to see what happens. Yeah, we've, we've got a, a, our Premier League soccer, as you guys would call it, is yeah. uh, training sessions and the same with rugby. But it'll be interesting how they're going to do a rugby scrum where you've got well, like... Well, I tell you, <laughs> next time we get together, Mark, I want you yeah. to take me to a cricket match. All right. Because I've watched cricket for years all right cool i cannot figure out what in the world they're doing out there <laughs> Let's do how that. do you play for a week or two weeks i don't all get right. that um even a te shorter test match i don't understand what's happening out there so uh, that's uh, that's beyond my comprehension so i need somebody okay. to explain that to me. i've got the day planned we'll go watch cricket right. and then we'll go for a curry an indian meal afterwards and, so, and by the way any sport where guys wear a, a tie and a sweater that's got to be a cool sport so that's why i like cricket i just want to figure <laughs> they got yeah absolutely absolutely now apart from my book on evangelism what's your favorite book that you've read on i'm going to broaden it a little bit it can be um evangelism or the mission of the church or communicating to a, a secular world that kind of that yeah. kind of and apart from your books as well because you can't use your oh, own obviously. but we will mention those <laughs> we will mention those but that's right well it's it's interesting i i i was telling someone the other day that i have a weird system to my reading um I will read communication, ministry, um, media books on one hand, and then I'll switch to a historical book. So this summer, for instance, I finished, I did the biography of Caravaggio, the, the yeah. uh, painter from the, 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 the Renaissance. Huge, thick biography. I mean, it was really big. I read that and I switched over to a book on creativity called The Creative Curve. And that was really interesting because its premise was, creativity is not about this aha moment, you know, this eureka moment when an idea hits you. It's about all the days, weeks, months, sometimes years of preparation uh -huh. that leads up to that aha moment. Sometimes we get so focused on that eureka moment, we right. think, how can, I, how can I plan my day or fix yeah. my office or what clothes can I wear so I'll be more open to that moment? Yeah. That's not it at all. It's that time you put in beforehand. Uh -huh. But then, so I read that, and then I'm switching. I'm, I'm reading right now. We're going through this racial, you know, issue here in the U.S. with the George Floyd uh, yeah. murder, and um, I'm reading, oddly enough, the biography of Ulysses S. Grant, who was the commander of the Union forces during the Civil War yeah. and had a, a, you know, a serious hatred of slavery. And right. what's really interesting about him was he was a brilliant, brilliant leader. And what I'm learning about how he led troops and how he designed, he could, they say he could really see an entire battle happening in his wow. mind before he ever wow. did it. And uh, I, I tell you this, Mark, I'm fascinated studying people who are brilliant at what they do. And whether it's Caravaggio, the artist who was, he struggled through life. He wasn't very articulate. He was not very good with people. 
He ended up a miserable, miserable death. And yet when he would touch that paintbrush, genius happened. Same with Ulysses S. Grant. He was a terrible businessman. He struggled in business. But the minute he put on that uniform and went into battle, he just went to a whole nother level. And so seeing when people are in their lane, doing what, and and particularly I'm fascinated with doing what God's called them to do, what they're wired to do, what they were created to do. That has an endless fascination for me because love seeing people do that love that, that. Tat. it's just it's fun for me to watch and study there's a book there right <laughs> maybe so maybe maybe you've inspired me to do yeah, yeah my- absolutely no pressure if you could just slot that in your millions of other things that you're doing you can have, you can have the draft to me by friday that would be great <laughs> you got it. You got it. that's brilliant that's superb okay you are listening to the reach podcast with me mark greenwood and me phil cook once again phil really grateful for your carving time out i first met you and it was actually it was actually a a very key time for me i was running a a registered charity on on mission and evangelism and a whole bunch of things had had kind of collided really to bring me to the place where I, i just needed to begin to see how i would present the ministry, how I would present it to people that weren't Jesus's followers, how I would present it to, to, to the church, etc., etc. I'd been given your book by a mutual friend, J. John. Uh, oh, yeah. He he bought a batch of them and brought it, I think, to one of our retreats, actually. Mm. I'd come back to my office and I thought, I must read that. And I was really, I was captivated, actually, by the title, which at that time was Branding yes. Faith. And that really captivated me. And I thought, right, I need to read that. I need to read that. And a few months passed by and I began to start to think about different things. And I pulled out your book and it captivated me for a number of reasons. Two reasons amongst many that I just want to chat by means of introduction is my um, ex-brother-in-law was a millionaire and he'd made his money through designing watches, earphones, and it was all for the in-flight industry. And he said to me a statement which I almost fully agreed with him. Um, And he said, the problem with the church is you've got the most famous brand in the world, but the worst marketing department. And I thought, I thought, actually, it's it's a fair point. You know, okay, we, we would part company on God being a brand. But actually, I thought what right. you talked about was, was, was really interesting. That really connected with something that had been resonating in my heart for a long time. Saying to people who aren't Christians, and this was the phrase, look closer. Just have a closer look at what Christianity really, really is. And then if on looking closer at it, you decide it's not for you, that's fine. But at least you then, you know what it is that you're rejecting. So what are your thoughts when you think about bringing your ability of telling the story, recognizing brands and perceptions of people? I mean, in your book, the first chunk of it is is about changing people's perceptions. How important is it to change people's perceptions in, in terms of seeking to get the message of Christianity out? Well, there's a, there's a phrase out there that says perception is reality. And um, so very often, I don't care if you're uh, having credible integrity and character, if people think you're a con man, that's the perception you're going to have. So right. and, and we live in a shallow culture where we see so many media impressions. We make decisions quickly. Uh, a couple of years ago, the Wall Street Journal released a study that indicated when, you know, we're so, we're so distracted, we're being pulled in so many directions, we have so many options that when you meet someone for the first time, you decide what you think of that person in the first four to eight seconds. 
Now, wow. now think about that. You haven't had time to really meet them. You haven't had time to talk to them or know anything about them. Wow. But hey, we have other things to do. We Our phone's ringing. We got email to answer. We're being distracted in other ways. So we've just changed our behavior, literally changed our mm -hmm. behavior. So we start making decisions now about things we don't even know anything about. So yep. in that world, that initial perception becomes incredibly, incredibly important. And, you know, you mentioned my book, Branding Faith. I rewrote that a number of years later into a book called Unique, Telling Your Story in the Age of Brands and Social Media, because when I wrote Branding Faith, social media wasn't out yet. And right, okay. in the world of social media, those immediate perceptions happen even quicker. They happen even faster. Right. And so we do live in a world. And so I, I'm a big believer that your church, your ministry organization, your personal ministry, we need to think about what that perception is out there in the culture. Because as you know, Mark, yeah. there's a lot of negative perceptions about right. Christianity. There's not a lot of negative perceptions about pastors, church, things like that. And so being aware of that, and the truth is we can't, you know, a brand is what somebody else thinks is not what we think. Right. So we can't always change it, but we can do our best to try to make that perception as positive, positive as possible. Yeah, at 100 percent. I mean, on the um, some of our listeners will know that we've been talking about a big yes, little yes, healthy, maybe in terms of yep. being a language that seeks to help the church understand the process that people go through in terms of engaging with faith. And of course, during lockdown, we've seen significant numbers of people, you know, Googling prayer, watching online services. There's, there's been yeah. some research done in the UK, which has been quite staggering. But for me, one of the critical things was in the church would become so preoccupied about just going for the big yes, i.e. preach the gospel, give people an opportunity to become Christians, but actually not allow within our gospel preaching and our evangelism, not allow for the need to change people's perceptions. And that's where Biggest Let Yes Healthy Maybe came from, and particularly the Healthy Maybe. So I do, I do events that are really perception-changing events um, that are totally geared up, up to doing unashamedly and I've, I've, I mean, I've been criticised sometimes that people say, oh, you didn't ram the gospel home enough. And I'm going, yeah, well, yeah, that's the whole reason we're doing this event is not to, to, to ram the gospel. How, how, can the, how can the church, especially when you think about where we are right now with, with all the online activity increasing, um, how, how can the church respond, do you think? Because we suddenly found ourselves in this space that many of us suspected would eventually happen, but it happened overnight. <laughs> and uh, it's been amazing, really. Well, so, when I, you know, it's funny. When I got my PhD in theology, I, did, I came upon a study from the Billy Graham um, Institute here in the U.S., the Billy Graham Center, that uh, when a person accepts Christ, they go through seven distinct steps. Right. You know, they don't just wake up one morning and decide, hey, I'm going to become a Christian. Yeah. Um, they don't go to a meeting and suddenly decide that. Somewhere, everybody out there is somewhere along that continuum of seven clear steps. And so here's the thing. You're not going to get somebody who's at step one to make a decision for Christ. There's no right. way. We're just trying. Our job is to move them along that timeline yeah. and get them to a point where their heart is softened enough to, to make that decision. So you never know where those people are going to be. I, I, when we do media programs here with our company, Cook Media Group, I, I, my goal is not necessarily to get people to become Christians, but move them along that timeline. I want people to walk away and say, you know, I may not, I, I'm not sure about that Christian stuff, but that was a fantastic program. That really made me think. 
Yeah. Um, I think if we can just do that, we're going to be more open. See, we, we live in this incredibly polarized culture today, yeah. particularly in the West. And uh, we, I was talking to someone the other day about 20, uh, let's say 2023, 2023 will be the 50th anniversary in the U.S. of Roe versus Wade, the right. law passed to open to legalize abortion. Yeah. And so, you know, the pro-abortion and and pro-life camps are going to have a lot of stuff coming up that year and pushing their agenda. But is there anybody just saying, hey, let's have a conversation. Let's at least talk about this. Uh, But most of the media that comes out of that year, I worry, is going to be super strident, super harsh, super critical. When the truth is, if we would have a conversation about it, we could just maybe move people along that continuum and get them to make the decision. So your book is a great example of that. I love the whole premise mm. because I'm just a big believer that, um, you know, I, I always think on social media as Christians, we should never be snarky. We should never be jerks. It's not our job to humiliate people. We're not gonna, how many people have been won to Christ by humiliation? It just doesn't work. Uh, you know, right. you know right. somebody, it drives them away. Yeah. So what's, there's gotta be a better way to engage people than through those kind of tactics. I totally, I totally resonate with that. One of my big concerns is we get embroiled in this need to defend our position. Yeah. You know, in, in, and sometimes in quite militant ways that, and that creates an inability to see other people's position. And when you get two factions that have that, you, you don't, you don't need a degree in psychology to work out what the end result is. And I think there'd be something quite powerful, wouldn't there, about just as Christians stepping back and saying, do you know what? I'm not going to enforce people's perceptions of faith. I'm, I'm going to change that by the way I react and live. That's good. There's an old principle in business that the loudest person in the room is the weakest person in the room. You know, when you're in a meeting and you have a conflict at the office, the guy that's the most strident, the most angry, the most you know, yelling the most about his point is usually the weakest guy because if you have confidence in your position, you don't have to yell. You don't have to scream. And we know who wins in the end. So yeah. there's, no really re- there's no real reason for us to get so angry and strident about things. But I, I think you're exactly right. Uh, and that's so true in a media world. Uh, yeah. You know, and, and it's funny, and here in Hollywood, when I'm directing actors, when we're doing a project, you, you find that if the actor yells all the time, people stop listening. But it's oh, those wow. moments when he or she is quiet, when there's silence, yeah. that's when people move forward and they want to hear what you have to say. And so I think it's the same way engaging the culture. If we're constantly yelling, if we're constantly criticizing, people just turn you off. Yeah. But uh, it's those times when we're quiet when there's silence in the conversation, when we actually reach out, that people start to take notice. No, I love that. I love that scripture, 1 Peter 3.15, that says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. And so often we quote that verse, but we forget that beautiful little line that says, but do this with gentleness and respect. And so often we go for the, the headline of the verse and and forget the, the strap line, don't we? So come on, mate. Has there been any, you don't have to give any names. This is just something I want to ask. When you're directing like actors and actresses, are they receptive to input or, or do you get some? That, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, it's funny. I, one of the things that I'm really big on and I've written my on my blog about it from time to time is that... Um, I don't think Hollywood is anti-Christian. You know, a lot of people have this fear that Hollywood hates Christians, Hollywood's after Christians to destroy the church. The truth is, most of Hollywood is just ignorant of Christian things. They don't want the 
Christian family. They don't get it. Yeah. Hollywood is a business. And I, I, I imagine at the highest levels of being barristers or being politicians or being plumbers or whatever, yeah. they're not Christian either. So Hollywood just has an enormous influence. So we see it so much. But I, right. my attitude is this. Instead of criticizing Hollywood, I encourage Christians to look at Hollywood as a mission field. You yeah. know, let's pray. You know, when you pick up that television remote and you start yeah. looking at programs, t pause for a second and pray for the people that produce that, that God will start working. There, there's actually an enormous number of high level, uh, highly placed Christians in the entertainment industry, both right. in the UK and in the US. I yeah. know, know Christians on both sides of the, of the pond. Yeah. And the truth is they're trying to make change happen from the inside. And when we right. as a church criticize Hollywood or criticize the entertainment industry in the United Kingdom, you know, that doesn't help. That makes it very difficult for us on the inside to keep that kind of change happening. So yeah. I think I would just encourage people listening to this, yeah. just change your mindset and think about, I mean, what could God do if yeah. we just really joined thousands of us joined together and started praying for the entertainment industry, wherever it is. Yeah. And um, I, I think it could be really re remarkable. That's a worthy challenge to be honest. I'll tell you what I've noticed as well. There's been a huge amount of, actors in Hollywood and in the UK um, who've been professing faith. Yeah. recently been very open about the faith, but also there's been a, a good number of films about faith-based stuff, you know, everything from The Passion, but right through to, was it, was it Breakthrough, one of the, one of the recent right. ones that came out? You know, there's yeah. been, there's been a, a lot. There seems to be something more open to faith in, in, yeah. in Hollywood at, at the well, moment. Well, it's kind of interesting. I think, it, you know, The Passion really showed Hollywood that, The Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson's film, really showed Hollywood that that's a legitimate ticket-buying audience out there. Right. You know, we call, right. we call the Midwest of the U.S. flyover states because Hollywood people are only thinking about L.A. and New York. But the truth <laughs> is... There's millions of people in the U.S. that want to see movies that take their faith seriously. Right. And so when Passion came out, that was just an explosion that really woke up Hollywood to the fact that, hey, this is an underserved audience. We need to right. be making entertainment for them. So it's been a little, you know, up and down. Some films, have, but that's true of all of movie industry. Some oh, films absolutely. But it has shown that um, there's still some major studios here that have a faith-driven arm where they're trying to make movies that, that reach uh, not only families, but uh, faith-driven people. Whether, and mostly that's mostly Christian people, but I think that's a, a big positive step forward and it's a great opportunity to Christ, for Christians to step up no, uh, and really, really share the message on a movie screen. Absolutely. You are listening to The Reach Podcast with me, Mark Greenwood. And me, Phil Cook. Telling the story is really important, isn't it? You know, we, you know, you hear a lot in, and I'm always careful when I'm mentioning these things in front of someone who really knows what they're on about. Um, but you do hear a lot of things about it's a story-driven marketing world these days. And, and I, my arguments, yes, it is. But actually, we've always loved story as human beings. You, you know, you go down through some of the ancient civilizations, and stories have been there. I, I told stories to my children as when they were babies, you know, we, we, we go out for a drink with friends and we tell, we tell stories to each other, don't we? So yeah, stories yeah. are critical. How can the church, do you think, and, and particularly thinking maybe about through media and through the online space, but I, I certainly don't want to restrict you just to that. Sure. How can we get better at telling 
I love your phrase. How can we stop sucking <laughs> at, um, at, at social media and telling the story? How can we get better at that whole thing online, media, YouTube, etc.? Well, my advice would be to start with yourself. Start personally. I think that, you know, you mentioned that great scripture a minute ago. And it's about, you know, be ready in season, out of season. And, and part of that is just telling your own personal story. All we have to do is tell how God touched our lives, how he transformed our lives and what he did for us. And why that is so important is we live in a culture today where there is no universal truth. You know, it's your yeah. truth, my truth. How often do you hear that? Well, my truth is this and your truth is that. Well, let me tell you something. In that culture, they can't argue with your truth. If it's your truth, it's your truth. And my yeah. truth is God transformed my life. He came in and, and they can't argue with that. They may yeah. argue with you saying, you know, Jesus rose from the dead, but they're not going to argue with what you say about your life. So this is the moment when we need to be ready as Christians to step up. Just share your own story, how God yeah. used you. And I particularly encourage people to do it on social media. Right. Use the well, I'm telling you, social media can be such a powerful tool for evangelism if yeah. we take it seriously. Surely we can. I have fun on Instagram. If you follow me on Instagram yeah. at Bill Cook, you see crazy fun stuff. However, if we we could also use social media to share our faith, tell yeah. our story, engage with people, and I, I think that's the most powerful thing we can do because your personal story is more effective. You know, and, and I even have people tell me, you know, Phil, I've, I've, I've led a pretty boring life. Nobody really cares about my story. I'll tell you, I've been doing this for a long time, and I can guarantee you somebody out there needs to hear your story. They need right. to hear how God, you know, engaged with you, how God impacted your life, how he transformed your life. They need to hear that. It's an encouragement for people. So always be ready. Don't be obnoxious. You don't have to be a jerk, like I said before. But always be ready just to say, well, let me tell you what God did for me. And let me tell you how my, my marriage was put back together or how whatever. Be, a, you know, be open to talking about that because if we could start there, yeah. then the church starts having a greater reputation. We start talking about it on social media. That becomes exponential. The message gets out there. Mm -hmm. And you'd be amazed at how much just something small like that could have a huge, huge impact. That's a great show. I, you know, whenever you talk to people about their story, I, I teach this when I'm teaching people about giving their testimony. And I say, you know, it's important not to preach your testimony, but just to tell the story of your yeah. testimony. Make sure you tell the story. And, and one of the things that people often say is, oh, I haven't really got a testimony. And what they mean is they haven't got a potential Hollywood blockbuster movie. <laughs> That's what they mean. Oh, oh but, true. But the truth is, if you take probably one of the most famous blockbuster movie, it wasn't quite Hollywood, I don't think, but it, it was made into a big film, was the story of Nicky Cruz. And if, if people are listening to this and they haven't read Run, Baby, Run, it's like a staple of the Christian diet and discipleship. But, but people think, I haven't, I haven't got that kind of story. And I say to people, you know, the truth is, the <laughs> Nicky Cruz's story doesn't actually relate to the average everyday person your story does relate to the average everyday yes. person there's more things in common with my story with my neighbor than there is in terms of nikki cruises so that's the um, first thing i say and then the second thing i say well not second because i say lots of things but one of the other things i say is that the strength of your story isn't about how bad you've been it's about how amazing god is that's yeah. that the strength of our story and we need to be telling that story don't we well you know and we've got to be willing 
to tell it. Uh, that's the thing. Uh, a friend of mine had a great quote. He said that if a friend of yours comes to you and says, you know, Phil, I'd like to find out more about Jesus. And your yeah. first thought is I have to call the pastor. Then you've got a problem. You've right. got a problem. Absolutely. You be ready to tell that story. Right. And I like that. When I wrote my book, The Way Back, uh, which came out a couple of years ago, I discovered some research that indicated in America, at least, uh, something like 79% of Americans don't, don't know their next door neighbor's names. I mean, we haven't even taken the time to wow. the street or lean over the fence. And you don't have to start with the gospel. Just yeah. take them a pie, you know, take them, just go over and start a conversation with them and work your testimony in. Absolutely. But just being willing to take that first step. I mean, what would it be? There are millions of Christians in the world. What would happen if we all just decided, hey, I'm going to go next door and really talk to Bob or Susan about what God's done in my life and who I am and why I go to church and what it means to me. What could possibly happen? It could be, you know, you never know. It could be something incredible. Uh, absolutely. No, that's brilliant. I love that. We just need to get telling our story, don't we? We really do. Absolutely. So we're in this place now where we suddenly find ourselves in a space that we weren't expecting. And I'm actually really proud of certainly the people that I know of how they've navigated that. I mean, we've got people who never even knew how to spell iPhone, let alone work one, you know, now suddenly been thrust into having to produce these little films and such like, and I'm, I'm so proud of how the church has responded in, in so many ways during COVID-19, but, but accepting that this is, not only is this not going away and staying with us, but it's going to increasingly become a critical means, as you rightly said, of communicating the message of Christianity. What are some of the ways we could, and, and I realise there's a breadth of experience here in terms of different churches at different places, but sure. what, would be, what would be a couple of things that you would be sitting down and saying, look, just think about this. You may have already thought about it, but just think about this in terms of who's listening or, or whatever. What would be a couple of top tips? Well, let me tell you, that's a great question. Um, and, and you're right. Churches have really stepped up during this lockdown period. I'm so impressed. In fact, I can look out my office right now and I can see Warner Brothers Studios, Walt Disney Studios, Universal Studios. And let me tell you, they're ghost towns. They're still locked down. Nobody's doing anything. Nothing's happening, which means over the last 10 or 12 weeks, the church has produced more media than Hollywood has. I mean, wow, think about that. That's, that's, staggering. That's, that's the only time in my lifetime, but that's remarkable. Come on. <laughs> it's amazing. We've really stepped up. And in fact, I've had pastors who have, and it doesn't matter if you're preaching to 20 people or 20,000 people. Mm. Let me tell you something. You can use an iPhone. You can use bigger cameras, whatever you have. Yeah. Just understanding that that's a real audience. And, and I would say, as we emerge from this shutdown, don't take your foot off the gas pedal. This is yeah. when it comes to your live stream. Keep it going. I, we, before the shutdown, we worked with multiple churches that were making as much as a third of their total financial income just from their live stream audience. Now think about that for a minute. Wow. But we did it. They did it because that church embraced that live stream audience. The pastor, pastor talks to them on camera the way he talks to his live congregation they felt like they were part of a campus and they felt a, a certain loyalty to that. And, and, and this is not just lazy people staying at home. These are pe business people that travel. My wife and I travel like crazy and yeah. wherever we are in the world on a Sunday, she'll open her laptop and we'll watch our home church. Yeah. Uh, college students away at college, people yeah. that used to live in your town now have moved and still want to check in. So there's a legitimate audience there and we should treat them seriously. So let me tell you three or four quick things before we Brilliant. go, Mark, that I would encourage pastors to do when it comes to your, 
their live stream from this point on. Number one, make it super easy to find. I, I watch about 10 or 20 live streams every Sunday from different churches around the world. And I'm amazed at how hard it is to find them. I mean, it's amazing. Churches have a little tiny button up at the top of the screen or one church I had to go through five pages to find their live stream. Let me tell you, this is the moment to make it easy to find. Get it up there. Another thing I would say is you'd be amazed at the number of people that will tune in five, 10, 20, sometimes 30 minutes before your live stream starts. So I'll just give them a countdown clock. Actually start the live stream early. Have someone maybe hosting, talking about announcements, giving people a chance, you know, they could pray for people. They could get people ready for the service. They could even take up an offering. That's really, really an important issue. And when it comes to offering during this difficult time, let me say this. It's awkward, obviously, to ask for money. I get that. People are struggling with their jobs. A lot of people are unemployed. However, if your church is doing something in the midst of this crisis, if they're out there in the fight, if they're trying to make an impact, doing feeding programs or outreach programs to people, talk about it. Because when you talk about it on your live stream, people feel like, hey, I want to support that vision. That's a real vision I want to get behind. And they're far more likely to give when they hear the story of how their church is making a difference out there in the community. So uh, we did a thing here in Los Angeles where we realized about two weeks into the shutdown, since people weren't coming to church, churches were piling up cleaning supplies, toilet paper, things like that. So we got a bunch of big churches to get together and give it to the Salvation Army. They all donated because the Salvation Army was doing eating programs and homeless shelters and they could use it. So I ask all the pastors talk about it on your social media and your your live stream. And everyone that talked about it during their live stream service that following Sunday, everyone, I've got a great financial response because people caught that vision of wanting, they want to know their church is really out there doing something spectacular. So, and, and the last thing I would say is, you know, it's really important that you understand the power of that camera. Um, even now when there's nobody in the building, focus on the camera. But even when people come back, yeah. don't ignore that camera. Turn to right. it. People in the audience don't know that you're talking to a camera. Just keep that camera going and make those people feel welcome. I'll tell you this, Mark, and, and I'll shut up here. But I had a, <laughs> no, it's I had good. a great friend of mine, an African-American pastor in Alabama, yeah. who called me the other day. He, he preaches to 900 people. <laughs> he said, Bill, I have to tell you, he said, before the shutdown, we had eight subscribers to our YouTube channel. He said, now we have 23,000 subscribers. Wow. He said, I've had 1.5 million people watch my Easter message. Ooh. And he said, every Sunday, we have as many as 10 times the number of our congregation watching us online. Wow. He said, I feel guilty saying this, but honestly, I'm not, I'm not really eager to get back into the building. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. We're having a greater impact than we've yeah. ever had. Absolutely. Oh, I'll tell you, if I'm just a word to pastors, if you embrace this, I, I, just get that out of your mind that it's not yeah. real ministry because lives are being changed out there. I can give you proof. So embrace this moment. And even when we go back into the building, don't let this slide. Stay focused on that live stream because it will continue to impact people. And, and last, I, last thing I'd say is research indicates that as your live stream grows, you'll get an enormous number of international uh, viewers. I, which means you become a global outreach uh, yeah. from the minute you go live stream. So the possibilities are endless. So I just encourage people, keep your foot on the gas, keep moving forward. This is not the time to let up. Come on. That's a great way to finish. Phil, thank you so much. That is just rich, rich stuff. Really appreciate it. Good to see you again, mate, after, after all these years. And Defo, when you're back across here, it's cricket and curry. 
I'm in. Count me in. I'm with you. <laughs> Bless you, my friend. Thanks for your time. Bye for now. Bye-bye. That was The Reach Podcast with Mark Greenwood. Stay connected on Twitter by following at Elim Reach or to follow Mark personally at Rev Greeny. Be sure to listen in to another Reach Podcast.